0: listening to the Game of Football podcast. I'm your host John Collins and on today's show we're going to be talking about football finance but most specifically about the collapse of football index, how it happened and what it might mean for football and gambling in the future. To do that I'm joined by regular contributors Alan Hick. Hi John. Paul Chapman. Hi John. and making his first appearance on the podcast and Okay, we're not going wildly away from our original conceit that this was a podcast about amateur footballers, although kind of one person's retired, another one's getting really old, and it seems like a long way away. But this guy formerly was one of our um, football team. He is now a personal financial bodyguard for professional footballers. I'm quoting back his own words there. Uh, it's Patrick Venn. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing, John? You okay? I'm good. I don't think I can let the description go without asking for a little bit more of what that actually means as a job title. Regular listeners will be well used to knowing that Alan is a hard-pressed teacher and that Paul does some kind of job, uh, but what do you... What I was going to say, there's no way you know what my job is.
1: There's no way. I got I got criticised for men not talking to each other because like, I've known you for about 10 years now, probably, and you don't know, you've never known what my job is, do
2: you? I thought you were a wrestler, Paul.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I am, um, if I turn my camera around, just in case the uh, the chat gets a bit dire, I've got wrestling on in the background. <laughs> well, follow that, no, buddy, yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, just follow that. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. So uh, basically,
3: a personal finance bodyguard is making sure that the pro footballers develop good financial habits so they don't become broke in retirement, like 40% of Premier League players do. 40%?
0: 4-0, think- yeah. 40
1: I didn't, know, I didn't know that. I knew it was bad in American football. I didn't know it was that bad in English football
3: yeah it's quite bad i think those stats are a few years old so i think it's trending in the right direction but even if it's a, a little better than 40 percent, it's still way too
0: high yeah yeah my, my little antenna for future podcast subjects is kind of spinning at this point but uh today's conversation is around football index and kind of the dust has settled a little bit on what happened to football index um around about a month ago now as we record a sort of uh we're getting into April, but at the start of March, Football Index, which is, um, well, what Football Index is, is kind of at the heart of this whole conversation. But as a business, it got itself into an enormous amount of trouble. Uh, it, football Index described itself as somewhere that you could buy and sell footballers with real money. Uh, it prompt, Their websites and adverts prompted you to join the rebellion, become a football stock market trader. Um, the problem is, if you go on Football Index's website now, Uh, you get a notice to say that the platform suspended. Um, They are in administration. um, They have had their license revoked by the Gambling Commission. And what they were was the ability to effectively use your own money to buy shares in footballers and be paid a dividend based on how those players performed in real life. In reality, though, it's all gone really quite badly wrong. The Gambling Commission used powers under Section 116, which effectively means you're not using your license properly. Um, although they've not specified quite the way they've effectively said they relied on their gambling license but didn't meet the terms of it Uh, football index for its own right says it suspended its platform that its dividend restructure was necessary step in a business recovery plan more on its dividend structure later and just as a kind of final couple of consequences there are estimates that about 60 to 90 million pounds are currently locked in the platforms trading Um, clubs like qpr and nottingham forest who bore them as shirt sponsors have rapidly dropped them. I don't think Forrester found a replacement as a record. Um, QPR have got a regional building business there. So it almost feels a bit kind of early 80s, now. 90s, uh, yeah. Yeah. 80s. 90s Yeah. 80s now. Um so basically today's conversation is going to be what's happened and and how we got there. And it go, this all goes back to 2015 when um Bet Index Limited uh, <laughs> are formed and they are the effectively the the business name for Uh, football index so i'm going to look at somebody to throw over for a a timeline here it's just going to be me talking forever alan looks incredibly serious or scared to death like he's picked the wrong subject completely and he's not revised the right topic which is it alan
2: yeah and no no, no it's, I'm, I'm okay on it but as I was saying to you pre-pod the, the whole thing with finance and stuff like that does kind of throw me and scare me slightly and I've got quite a lot of notes in front of me which I'm suddenly feeling slightly dyslexic at looking at but uh I'll give it I'll give it a go in terms of the timeline so yeah like I, I you just say, remembered
1: I did I did accounting and financial management at university mate so I might be able to help you out with any oh, any words
2: yeah any any time Paul please jump in what uh, was
1: on that part on my grade, I'm not allowed to divulge that. Shall I do a of timeline
2: then? Okay, so as you say, launched in October 2015, um, it offered uh, what they described as shares in professional footballers, which were then on dividends. And at the start, that would uh, the dividends would be from one pence to fourteen pence per share. That's changed since then and, and, and risen considerably. Uh, but it was over a three-year period, according to a structure um, which it devised. Based mainly on a player's performance on and off the pitch. Um, so as you can imagine, the, the stock prices would go up and go down. Um, they secured, you know, at the beginning a significant amount of funding, 1.92 million from Burleywood Capital. Um, it was launched on the stock exchange uh, with a cap called The Footy, uh, which launched on the 2nd of, uh, of October with a base value of a thousand points. By May 2016, they'd raised one. Uh, 1.15 million through crowdfunding um, platform called Cedars uh, in exchange for about 15% equity and gradually over the next uh, course of uh, the next few years it expanded rapidly uh, even in May 2016 it had a value of about four and a half million by January 2018 it reached about 100,000 users and um, surpassed half a million traders in late 2019 uh, and during the 2018-19 season it Itself, they'd uh, they'd made uh, over sorry three hundred twenty one million pounds had been traded on the platform, and over four point three million pounds was paid out to traders through dividends. Uh, became also increasingly. more widely marketed so as you said it it had kit sponsors with Nottingham Forest and QPR also Bristol Rovers in 2018 as well you'll probably I I certainly remember it being advertised on social media but it appeared on black cabs and trains John Motson became the voice of it in in August um, 2018 Um, and then uh, other kind of contributors like Guillaume Balaguet joined in September 2018 uh, Raphael Honigstone uh, in 2019 so it was gaining a you know, a, a following that made it seem legitimate and supported by, um, you know, kind of key figures. It was also in 2019, it went into a kind of a deal with NASDAQ uh, and this is one of the, I, th- I think the big turning points in it because the, the idea of it being put forward as a uh, a kind of stock market training, trading platform was, was given as opposed to a, a betting site kind of gaining traction from this point and the fact that it wasn't was never kind of regulated by the financial conduct authority shows you that it, it was never that but it was it was uh, a, a betting company in a kind of di- in a different guise um at that point uh, there were kind of increasing concerns about its uh, about its Uh, It's kind of raising power. So Matt Zarb-Cousin, who is the director of the campaign group for Clean Up Gambling, uh, said that the whole association with NASDAQ, and I quote, added a veneer of legitimacy to the operation and provided a lot of reassurance to traders on the site. In January 2020, there was a Gambling Commission report, and this is, I think, a really key moment that was not taken you know sufficiently seriously that the company was basically an essentially a ponzi scheme uh, and they quote an exceptionally dangerous pyramid scheme under the guise of a football stock market and if any user growth were to stop or decline the company would quickly find itself unable to pay its liabilities and dividends to users uh, and, that, and that's a really key a key bit they suggested that in in 2020 the reports um said that they uh, their liabilities, basically what they were expecting to pay out in dividends, exceeded about one million pounds per month. And that the only way the company can afford this long term is through the constant sale of yet more new shares to new uh, to new users alongside a constant churn in, in positions. Uh, but in other words, you know, n- normally in, in, in the stock market, as, as I understand it, firms are the ones who pay out dividends to their shareholders. It is football index who are paying out dividends for, you know, performance of footballers across across a certain time frame. So where that money was coming from was was going to be highly questionable. They were making 2% on their uh, on sales between traders, but that was was arguably never, never going to be enough. And we'll talk a little bit more about the kind of like the problems that go wrong with it from that point. But the report also revealed that people were starting to use the site as an investment vehicle. They were turning their ISA's um, investments and transferring money from bank savings accounts into this uh, into this platform, and but, uh, to, to the point where people were investing thousands and tens of thousands of pounds, um, of which many of many of that has been lost in march 2020 uh, there's a big change where they uh, they changed their dividend payout uh, which we'll, I think we'll talk about a little bit later um, in may 2020 the gambling commission began investigating it somewhat kind of a bit too little too late and as you say by the 11th of march March of this year of uh, this year it went into um, administration and they have suspended their operation duties so a lot of a lot of information to kind of um, absorb there but uh, you know you can you can sort of see the pattern of it gradually um, becoming a, a you know a, ma- a major kind of entity and then the increasing problems that were, that were emerging from it that not enough was done
3: I think you touched on it a, a couple times is that what the genius of football index was the way they marketed themselves because people started to put the link of stock market index and football index is almost like the same thing they were using all the same terminology that you use in the stock market shares portfolio dividends so they started making these really strong connections and people eventually as you said started putting their own isa accounts like treating it as a portfolio and while it had the look and appearance of a stock market if you pulled behind the curtain just a tiny little bit you would see that they're nothing alike but that was i think the genius of football index is they made it very mainstream, and basically, what they did is it was an alternative to the stock market for regular punters. The stock market seemed like such a foreign concept, whereas football index seemed just so much more, uh, you know, something they could wrap their head around and much more accessible to the everyday football fan to invest their money. And unfortunately, it just got away from them. A little bit. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was going to say I've seen it everywhere. I've seen it advertised everywhere on all football stuff and that's exactly it for the, for people. Well, I've, Pat, we've had a a meeting once where we went over financial stuff, which I very much appreciated, but my my knowledge, and I bought that book you told me to, by the way, Uh, but my knowledge of like the stock market and everything is absolutely shocking. And I can completely see why people were drawn in by the aspect of that because People love football, they love reading about it, and everyone thinks they know everything about the game, and that's a way to prove it and make money out of it. It's,
3: it's riding the wave of fantasy football, really, yeah. when you think yeah. about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's very similar to that, and people thought, ooh, you know, I'm, I'm bossing my mates in my sort of fantasy football group, let's lump 20K into this and, and really turn it up. And, <laughs> and they realised that they're not really the same thing. i
1: have just remember, did my, like, Ten-year-old nephew do really well on fantasy football. Was he in the same league as you, Jason? Did he beat you
0: consistently? A couple of years in a row, yeah. absolutely demolishing me, game. hundreds and hundreds of points ahead as he randomly clicked on players he'd heard the name of.
2: Yeah, but we didn't invest ten thousand pounds into that. Thankfully, yeah, but that could have it's been football, it? Could have started well, maybe you
1: did.
0: <laughs> What's interesting here, though, is so you get the 2015 thing and the initial shares that alan talked about the 1 to 16p it's interesting because that was a three-year period on which that bet matured basically so you stuck your money in you got the dividend payments they were per day rate so you could get between 1 to 16p a day but what what's interesting is you you refer to it as a ponzi scheme Uh, the gambling commission said it was a dangerous pyramid scheme but It's whether there's the intention to do that or whether they've kind of accidentally fallen into that trap. And I think one of the interesting suggestions here is that unlike there's so many ways in which they're not regulated like a stock market, you know, they they can't be touched like that. But what's particularly interesting is that once you crack the code of how you do football index. You can actually take a lot of money out of it. When you read the kind of go into the how to videos that still exist on YouTube, and it talks about have you spotted a player with loads of potential? Well, there's a potential for growth. They talk about it like you're getting in on the ground floor of a company. But actually, the best thing to do would be to go, okay, well, Erling Haaland can score hat tricks for fun. Bruno Fernandes is on a two year in a form. If I just pump all my money at those players, these dividend mm-hmm. rates that you're setting up will mean that too many people can just follow a template and look a lot like fantasy football once you start getting that kind of hive mind approach so not just a casual player but you really start reading into it you can kind of break the system a little bit and take so much more money out of the dividends because all the players that they need you to buy are the ones who aren't performing week on week and they don't have to buy dividends for and it's the kind of thing that with a stock market they'd be able to hedge against that happening they'll be able to sort of take a bet basically that something might go wrong and they can't do this because they're not regulated in the same way they they can't hedge against their own people coming in and eat, well not easily anyway and it's almost like the players got too good at playing the game and got them to a position where the only way they could meet their commitments <laughs> is what the um gambling commission said they needed more players and when they did that thing with the 2020 the march 2020 kind of changing the dividend amounts so effectively just locking all your money away so you could never get it back they on the same day were issuing new shares for people to still be able to come in because you still need that new money and it's almost like after the first 3 years had matured and people had start to understand how their systems worked they'd almost made a game that was beatable so it's <laughs> pretending to be uh, a kind of a market and having shares they didn't have any of the inherent protections that were brought with being a market which is heavily regulated however you want to look at it but
3: as much as they were trying to imitate the stock market if you just take two very basic examples you can see i just can't understand the people who created this company didn't know what they were creating i find that very difficult to wrap my head around. Now I'm not accusing the owners of being sort of thieves or or evil people, but anyone with sort of a decent amount of knowledge, and I'm sure either they did or their board did or someone about financial markets, you could see how different they were. I'll give you two examples. Number one, you buy shares of a player. And when you buy shares of a company, there's actually something behind those shares, right? There's a business, they have products, the company makes money they own buildings they own you know uh, factories or or whatever it may be there's tangible assets behind those shares what's a share of erling holland what is it i don't even know what that means like do you own it's, a piece it's of an food?
2: imaginary idea isn't it yeah. i think
3: only mina rail has got those <laughs> hmm. so that like f- from the jump it just falls apart when you're buying sh- what what are you buying shares of what it's just an imaginary thing that someone's made up that says has value which which it doesn't and the second thing you pointed out was you know if the business model is just basically print more shares and flood the market it's never going to work because you're just saturating it too much people were basically no one was wanting to sort of the prices of players were falling no one was looking to buy and they just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and that's why you had these share crashes after those changes in regulation and so i find it very difficult to believe that the owners or whoever was running football index at the top didn't know what was up yeah. on the horizon when everyone exactly was on the and farm. when they
1: started putting them back out that's when you start smelling the rat isn't it when they're selling more when they're when they're panicking that doesn't that's not a good look for them as much as you can say oh they're not they were i'm not saying that they're bad they're, they're bad or whatever it looks bad that looks very bad
0: their own rules they broke their own uh, terms and conditions where they said it'd be 30 days before they changed how dividend payments would work and they did it overnight so when you're breaking your own rules that's not a good look it's effectively like Mm. me putting 50 quid on a football match and then two minutes before the end going ah you know those eight to one odds you had actually we've changed them it's now two to one on so you can't do that
2: yeah that's that's one of the biggest things I think that came out of it that you know most most betting companies and bookies are are setting a their their risk is is tailored by the odds that they set and it's usually over a very fixed length of time you know a football match or it could be you know it could be a season but you've you know if you if you wanted to bet on Manchester City being champions this season which I think quite a few people might not have done Thought the bookies mitigate that risk by shortening their odds. The The difference here is that the odds are effectively changing um, so drastically. And, and it's not even just like a, a slight shifting of the goalposts, which uh, they do. They do say that they can do that. But as you say, they, they went against the 30 day 30 day period. So you're effectively changing the goalposts midway through um, midway through the bet. Um, so you know people, people and, and the dividend cut was what something like 82 percent of what they were what they were talking about you know the share price uh, the dividend payout went down from something like 33p to 6p or something something ridiculous That's and as you say that causes this massive massive sell and then you get a market crash and you've got you know huge numbers of people potentially unable to get their money out and who knows whether they
0: will be able to It's that thing as well, though, that they didn't just change the dividends, they got rid of um, a year before in 2020 when the pandemic came, they had an instant sell function on the website that they pulled, which I'm not sure how the start of 2020 sees continued growth for a platform where a regulatory body's called them a pyramid scheme. They've got rid of the instant sell, which my reading, and I'm delighted Patrick's here for this, my reading of that is if you get rid of the instant sell, isn't the subtitle underneath that, we don't have the liquidity to back this? I mean, is that the right reading
3: of that? I think so. So essentially, like what that instant sell, that was back to football index itself. So let's say you had a bunch of Jaden Sancho shares and, you know, he wasn't performing well at the beginning of the season previously, when they had the button, you could just say, you know what, I'm going to sell my shares back to football index. I'll take the hit and I'll take the loss on it. When you remove that button, you have, basically, you are banking on someone else to buy it from you. So John, that's like, I bought shares of Jaden Sancho. I can't sell it back to football index anymore. I have to find another user to sell it to. Well, he was playing like can I swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Oh, he's playing like shit, I think at the beginning of the season, so no one was looking to buy Jaden Sancho shares. So effectively, removing that instant sell button, you had to hold your position unless you could find another buyer for your shares. And when a player is tanking or 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 snaps his leg and gets an ACL injury. Like,
0: who wants yeah, to... Yeah, I was going to say, what happens
1: if, if a player gets an injury with, with the shares? That was what I was going to ask. Yeah. Just straight down.
0: And there's, there's a... Yeah. So the basic... Yeah, that was
2: part of the risk that customers... Yeah. yeah. About but what's in, interesting if you
0: is to if you're... A, if you go into the stock market and this is where I start to get really shaky on my own notes and wish I had better handwriting as well because when you don't have great handwriting and you don't quite understand your own note, it's a recipe for disaster yeah, that's, but as i understand well, they say it,
1: intelligent people have the worst handwriting don't they Jason? well i am
0: a fucking genius it's probably
1: the biggest, biggest compliment i've ever given you that so absolutely
0: is it. and I'm, I'm i'm struggling to concentrate based on it but there's something in uh, real markets called downside protection which is effectively the ability to make sure that an investor in a real life version of that situation who wants out before his shares have tanked you know still be able to get back what you paid for them not after the horse has bolted obviously if the shares have gone down everyone understands shares can go down that's not something that's available because this isn't a real market so the ability to sort of market yourself as Paddy said over and over again you market yourself to be sort of stock market but on either side of it neither the company nor the people using it have got the kind of protections that would come from actually working in the stock market and you basically end up in a position now where they're in um administration you know they say on the website that they've suspended the platform but what it actually means is that they've brought in administrators um begbie's and trainer are the administrators now Um, And that process, as we've seen with so many things in football, you know, administrators are going to look at what they can do to, if there's a viable business there to sell to anybody. But it doesn't seem to be a viable business because they've lost the gambling uh, commission license. It's doubtful they'd ever get it back on this model. So now you're in a position of effectively, it would be astonishing to think anything other than they'd be liquidated. I mean,
3: and and their brand name has absolutely been dragged through the mud and destroyed. So <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know that they have the trust of many punters if they came back online anyway. Which and what other assets have they got? I mean, like you were saying about the being backed by a real thing, this isn't like a football club going bust where there might actually be physical assets that could be in you know some way. But what what is there other than them going completely bust and nobody getting back any of that money that's I mean, there's talk of a class action lawsuit. There's a Scottish firm called Lee Day, um, but there's other consequences to this. Who do you go after? See, so the liquidated company doesn't have the monies to pay this. Could you go after the Gambling Commission? Well, likely that
2: I think that's a that's sorry, John. I think I think that's a really important question. I mean, a lot of people have kind of question, questioned whether the football index should ever have been allowed to get up and running in the way it did in the first place. Um, as as Paddy was saying at the beginning the idea that um, you you know Adam Cole and and the others who went into this didn't have a sense of where this was going Um, it seems seems far too too simplistic for me Um, and as the timeline I hope revealed with the gambling commission that they were given warnings about this uh, significantly before you know major changes were made uh, as you say from uh, from the March Uh, March 2020 of of removing the safety net the the report that was was dished out was in January 2020 and there were concerns being raised before that um, as it was
0: and the The Gambling Commission themselves are are going
2: through a current uh, sorry the the, the Gambling Commission themselves are sort of in in a bit of a crisis already because there's been um, if you go back to when we did our gambling uh, podcast some, some years back we we talked about the pressure that was being put on about uh, you know football advertising uh, in relation to gambling the number of championship and, and premier league clubs you've got shirt sponsorship deals with other you know not we're not just talking about football index here but other kind of gambling it um, uh, companies who are you know potentially causing uh, a lot of havoc in uh, for, for gambling addicts uh, the mm-hmm. gambling commission is premier already league. under a, a lot of scrutiny and um did i did i mention the chairman has just recently resigned supposedly over another unrelated issue but um yeah the, the, whole, the whole the whole thing's in a bit of a mess at the moment
0: well, you've got protection under a pyramid scheme which is reason I, i'm wondering about who might be on the hook for it there's a 2008 customer protection from unfair trading legislation which specifically deals with pyramid schemes and your right to redress from them there's no redress if there's no one to go after and you would think it's one thing i'd say the gambling commission might get off here is that it's not exactly a great kind of reason for other future companies to behave well if the only person on the hook for poor behavior is the is the commission itself so they, there may be a will to to not open them up to that kind of vulnerability but you know you talked about those warnings before 2019 advertising standards agency made them put something on the website to say, this is not an investment vehicle. I just wonder if all those really, really early warning signs, but you know, this is really interesting because this is football and gambling yet again. Alan mentioned it. kind of probably our most listened to ever podcast. I think it's up to about 5,000 listens now is the one we did on football and gambling. And you know the 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 experience of that. You look at some of the kind of the gamblification of football. Um, kind of the latest stats that kind of I can find available. We're talking about October 2020, and that sports betting just in the UK, um, the revenue from it in October was 290 million pounds just from UK-based bets placed on sport. Um, you average that to years about three billion a year. Kind of, you know, how,
1: like how many of us gamble regularly on football?
0: Oh, I've dear. stopped. I've actually stopped this year. I've, I've, my my gambling really? can be well described in the previous uh, podcast, which wasn't What, did, what do you
1: do when you watch games now and the same player scores a brace, JC? Because that's your favourite bet.
0: It was my favourite bet. Yeah, braces were genuinely... I, I've had to slightly re-educate myself to watch football and, and I talked earlier about antenna for future football subjects. I'm not sure why, but I think my interest, the football's ability to maintain my interest is waning. And from somebody who kind of, you know, just routinely consumed enormous amounts of football content in one way or another, I think it's probably pandemic related. I think it's probably the fact that there's a game every day. There's no yeah. contemplation space. There's no room to breathe. I've not seen an up-to-date table that had everyone playing the same amount of games for God knows how long. So I think there's something to that. But I also wonder if it's the fact that I've stopped gambling. How much of what i was enjoying about football was the fact that i would bet on a lot of games not huge amounts of money not anything i couldn't afford but at the same time am i sort of yeah. training my brain to enjoy football the way i did before i started gambling
1: um, i wasn't expecting such a deep answer to the question of if we all gamble, but i enjoyed
3: that <laughs> i used to like jc my i wasn't a, i wasn't the the brace i was first goal scorer and final scorer. that was my go-to pick and I remember the first, you can hear the accents Canadian, when the first time I came to the UK, I did a Tranmere Rovers game. I went to see it live, first goal scorer, and I got the final score right. And I was thinking, this is dead easy. I have not <laughs> since.
1: Can you remember who the first scorer was for Tranmere? I do
3: not know. That would be no. a, a quiz trivia question I can't answer. That was five years ago. And I think I've, uh, that was my only successful win. Yeah, so hard
0: to, to get that right. £3 billion on sports betting, though. What's interesting is the whole gambling industry in the UK in 2018 brought in just under £15 So you're looking at sports betting being about 20% of UK betting. Obviously, it's much bigger when you take it as a global thing. Um, And I think what's interesting here is how many people are bound up in football with the companies being successful. QPR talked about taking the Syriac sponsorship money from um, football index in good faith. Now, I don't know how they can say that when they took it after a lot of the warning signs we've talked about, but there's almost a willful deafness to this. And kind of Alan and I were at um, a, what was the event we went to, Alan? It was a blizzard event, wasn't it? It
2: was a blizzard, yeah.
0: With some of the most respected names in football journalism you can imagine um, that we won't name now. And Alan asked a question afterwards. He said, does football have a gambling problem? And to a man, every one of them, and they were all men, said, no, it doesn't. There's worse things that football could be affected by. But you look around at the like, you know, you talk about Rafa Honigstein, you talk about the football journalists who are involved in this, who are still producing content way after those warnings come. And football has hitched itself to gambling. It really has. Okay. No, no, don't worry. It's all right. It kind of, that's part of the... Use it as a starting point and talk about... Because everyone, everything that's covered football index is just an, on quite a superficial way, I think. Um, and, you know, that point that football's wedded to gambling in a way that... In quite a kind of taking a blind eye to everything that's happening. Because, let's face facts, football makes as... Football probably makes less than gambling does in total. And... It's quite easy to just take the gambling money. I mean, we've <laughs> we've had like one and two week sponsors on this podcast um, who quickly disappear when they realise that our statistics. I mean, that all our lovely listeners tend not to be easily sold to, um, which I think is to their credit and to our credit for them coming to us. Uh, hopefully, that will get us a few good reviews. But you know, is there a lack of due due diligence from everyone from clubs? to journalists i think there are, i think you'd really struggle to find a football journalist who has not at some point relied on taking money from gambling companies and you know it's i'm not criticizing that necessarily i'm saying that it takes a very very bold person to start attacking somebody that's paying them money you know it's, i'm not going to go kind of turning publicly on my employer i need the money and you know mortgages to pay and all the rest of it so it's it's certainly not holding them to a standard that I wouldn't necessarily hold myself to. Whistleblowing's hard, but how much is football just looking the other way for gambling? I think is something that Football Index brings up.
2: I would say that it's that's definitely true. Um, I was reading um, James Grimes' um, kind of like follow up to this. He's a he, he's a founder of the Big Step Campaign Group, which is. Uh, a thing set up for kind of like ex-gamblers and people who have gone into to difficult problems and he said that it comes as little surprise to many of us harmed by gambling that another company has failed to protect its customers from immeasurable harm. The immediate financial impact on the people caught up in this failure is devastating but the damage to mental health and affected others is too much to contemplate especially when gambling related harm incurs such a high suicide risk as well. So I mean I think it's definitely something that is um, that's sort of overlooked and the wider impact of it is is kind of devastating. And we, and we talked about this when we did the gambling one previously. It's it's a, it's a, an addiction that's kind of less palatable, if that makes sense, than something like alcoholism or drug addiction that you can sort of see much more visibly. Um, gambling addiction tends to go on sort of somewhat silently, I think, and um, and happens in the background. I, I, I'm not sure that Football Index was... was I, I think Football Index kind of got away with it being... The feeling of it being a gambling addiction, because of the thing that Paddy was saying at the beginning, that it was disguised as something that was, you know, stock market trading. Um, That you know, people were people were fooling fooling themselves into into thinking that they were doing something that was an investment for the future. When the reality was, they were basically being, uh, if not willfully fooled, um, then 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 you know. Dupes into into something that
0: actually
1: there ended up being quite damaging. Are there are similar things than this outside of sport. Was just the
0: That's really interesting question. Actually, there is there is one very odd thing. Way, but cashing back twenty years, the BBC ran something called Celebdac, um, which was not for real money. If I've remembered it correctly, it was just a sort of a game because it was run very much through the BBC, so you weren't channelling money and but they relaunched in 2019 on the football index model um, they have far far fewer people there's something else there's one going since 1998 that deals with people in the music industry in the same way This, but they just don't seem to have caught on for the same kind of popular imagination and I think that's probably because the gambling sites are a gateway and actually I think more than the gambling it's fantasy football the rise of fantasy football and the coincidence of this I think Patrick's exactly right that is a you plenty of people that game's got harder but you know two three years ago i say harder it's harder to rise up the ranks because there are more and more people playing which just again shows you you know this is not necessarily a game of skill um, that you can game your way through but i think it's that all those gateway things are set up for football you get to think you're an expert because you can take in huge amounts of information about football very easily you can play fantasy football and that kind of feels similar and you're used to having a flutter on football all those things don't exist for celebrities and they don't exist for the music industry so those things just haven't drawn the same level of attention and they've also not had the same advertising reach you you do not see anything equivalent because you don't have such an easy to view thing as the walking billboard that's a replica football shirt let alone what you have the players running around on the pitch on
3: Although you say (laughs) they're just launching a a brand new thing. I heard of it just today, actually called BitClout, which is something similar to Football Index, but basically you're going to be allowed to invest on content creators on like Instagram and TikTok. And the more their followers grow, the more your shares in that content creator grow.
1: Oh dear, what is the world coming to you?
3: I mean, I, I was going to say
2: that it, it has echoes of the sort of emergence of cryptocurrencies to an extent it's not the same in the sense that there isn't a game or a sport behind it but the sort of the gambling on um, in the case of uh, have a a listen to um, the missing crypto queen if you're interested in uh, a good story about the emergence of one coin that's still um, being sold in places all around the world particularly in parts of Africa where huge numbers of people have got uh, major investments in a currency that basically has no real backing behind it um so yeah it, it's got some similarities to that kind of thing but um yeah not 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 in a sporting sense
3: but for me if we bring it back to sort of uh, not who's at fault but if you bring it back to those clubs like um, qpr and, and Knotts forest who had them on the shirt front i can almost guarantee that virtually zero due diligence on football index was probably done connected to the fact that they had all the shiny things that ticked the box right they got uh, crowdfunding on cedars that's another sort of stamp of authority you know we're trading on the stock market another stamp of authority i'm sure that there was very very little done in terms of the football clubs looking at sort of under the hood of of the business they said you're going to pay us half a million or a million check great we'll take that
0: I think as well that's the thing with the NASDAQ link as well although what NASDAQ were going to do for Football Index never actually got delivered it was sort of it was announced they were I do not understand what they're going to do I could give you the words but there's no point they were going to do something basically to the platform something about how it would operate but that was never actually put into effect but the association again something you've heard of something that makes you feel a bit more comfortable for it happening and it's sort of is there a wider point here about where football's pre- prepared to take its money from as well? We've talked about gambling, but you know Arsenal shirt. I'm looking at Alan for the visit Rwanda stuff on the sleeve. You know, not a universally popular sponsor. I'm trying to remember, but I'm sure Manchester United early, no, no, late noughties were approached by Mansion. Um, the gambling company, and they passed on it, apparently, and it went to Spurs instead. But I hear very few stories of football clubs deciding to pass on sponsorship deals in any way. Um, I think Patrick might be the good person to bring it at this point.
3: Yeah, so having worked at the Man United in their sponsorship team, uh, I can tell you, actually, that Manchester United, of all the clubs, do an incredible amount of due diligence on each sponsor because you know, three, four five million pound sponsorship deal, if it's linked with the wrong brand and brings terrible brand reputation to Man United, isn't actually worth the money. However, I know there was a particular instance of a gambling company that was in discussions with many Premier League clubs and we ended up passing on the club because of uh, just some of the things that they were allowed to bet on, which were quite, quite seedy and sadistic. And another Premier League club, Said no problem. We'll 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 sign them up right away. Not not an issue for us. And they obviously didn't do any due diligence at all.
0: Wow, wow. Oh, that's I think um... it
3: was cockfighting, maybe that you could bet on. What? Uh, things like that. Yeah, on the uh, on the gambling market, stuff like that. <laughs> Just like, some seedy, seedy
0: things. I'm I'm guessing here that it was possible that this sponsor that such a sponsor might be a company that Everton might have gone with and have been replaced with Kazoo, was it? There were two... That was very stone-faced, He's oh, not giving Absolutely effect. stone-faced. I'm betting, I'm not asking for a comment, but there was the collapse of uh, the sponsorships of Sports Pazer who did Aston Villa and um, Everton. There's also uh, um, the
3: collapse of Watford's shirt sleeve yes. a year or two ago. They, they were another I forget if they were gambling or a forex currency company, but um, they uh, they fell out as well. So just a regular occurrence in football. I really don't think football really cares too much where the dough is coming from as long as it feeds the entire machine. And that's the somewhat disenchanting thing uh, as you kind of grow a bit older and realize the economics behind it. Uh, is kind of more important than the, than the game itself. The most yeah, sobering
0: economic true. point about football that I heard was from a friend who works um, straight out of university. He was really, really interested. You know, we both did history degrees. He spoke Russian and was going to do Russian history and then saw how much you would get for um, a graduate job working in supermarkets. He now is very high up in kind of working in supermarket sectors. Um, a big Tesco earns as much and way more, actually, than a Premier League club in a year you go to a big out of town tesco way more than a premier league club way way more and far less in the way of profile to it as well we think of football because it's so high profile but in terms of the size of these businesses they will probably claw at things because when you're being significantly outsold by one tesco store that's quite a sobering way to look at it your premier league club is worth less than a supermarket's revenue
3: so, are you telling me that if you win the lottery, you're going to buy a, a couple Tesco supermarkets over a football club?
0: Depends on the lottery, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's, it,
3: even thinking about that, though,
0: that
3: is just, like, Tesco isn't that sexy, is it, though? Oh, I, I don't a
1: have the Tes- either. I a cool one. I've seen one at the end of my street. It's pretty uh, 24 hours. It's got all the modcons. I live
2: next to the very first Tesco. In fact, I grew up next to it.
0: I'm, in I'm just down the road from the very first Nando's. It's the closest shop oh, I can get to my house. Maybe we should swap. The very first ever Nando's. <laughs> I, don't, I think we should swap our childhoods, but...
1: <laughs> By the way, yeah. uh, Nando's is Alan's favourite uh, restaurant, would you say?
2: And it is a Thursday night, Paul. Is it tonight? Do you know what? It's actually not going to be tonight because we... Gotta take one Tuesday, outrageously. Yeah. But I am on holiday at the moment, so I kinda of feel that. Like yeah, never that's, let him, that's right. legit.
3: Never yeah. let Do you have one of those like Nando's black cards where you have like, you're like the, like a power user?
2: Uh, I no, unfortunately not. I've only I, I only seem to remember that being was it Jermaine Defoe or someone uh or some it was certainly a footballer. It was the only person I remember having having one. I Jermaine don't know Jermaine how widely it. sold they were.
0: I'm sure Jermaine Defoe had one. I might have made that up. I don't know. Anyway. I, yeah, you know, what, if that's the thing that gets us the um, slander accusations for the podcast, I'll definitely put that bit out, uh, yeah. and you know, hopefully divert from any other suggestions of um, us misrepresenting people. I think that's probably it for this week's podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. If you want to get in touch with us, there's two ways you can do it. We're always welcome to suggestions for uh, future podcast content and any questions you've had about stuff we've already talked about. You can find us on Twitter at the game of footy. Or you can email us thegamerfooty at gmail.com. But for this week, that's all. Thank you very much to Patrick. Cheers. Been great to Paul. again. Yeah, cheers, lads. And to Alan.
3: Thanks, John.
0: Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. But for now, as you were.